All right, everybody. I'm going to be talking about uh, one of my favorite seasonal movie. It's I guess it's not a seasonal movie. It's a classic. It's a movie I've talked about on the podcast before, but I've been thinking about it a lot lately. And it, because uh, right now when I'm recording this, it's uh, well, it's the last day of August. And it's a year that has me saying this. It feels like I've said this three times. I don't know. I was thinking about it because I was working on uh, an episode of what's that called? Otter Things, the podcast I make. Uh, so tonight I'm going to try to I'm going to talk about some things, my personal relationship with the movie Beetlejuice. And uh, I'm going to go through some facts about it first because I actually own this movie. I own the streaming version or whatever, you know, when you, I don't know what service I had bought it on, but. Uh, whenever I wanted to watch it a couple of years ago, it was only there was no place to actually stream it. Uh, I think that may have changed, but I don't know. But I was thinking today when I was like, okay, I'll record this today. And I was like, I wonder if they have like an extended version or Blu-ray. And then it, just in case anybody's listening, I, I know they've kind of gone back and forth on making a sequel to this movie and i know there's a there was a musical i think it was just about to start or it just had started we're talking about the movie and i'll only say it once right now beetlejuice uh but uh i'll try not to say it three times in a row fast but really a classic classic film again i may have talked about this before so this could be the first to tell the tape where i have retail retail of the tape retread retail of the tape tread uh, but let's start with the actual facts from this one. I'll try to then I'll try to remember the plots. I'll still not remember it, even though I probably watch it every year. But a lot of surprises in this. It came out in 1988, um, which was an important year in my life. Um, it was produced by the Geffen Company, according to Wikipedia, distributed by Warner Brothers. Uh, Michael Keaton, Alec Baldwin, Gina Davis, Catherine O'Hara, Winona Ryder. Uh, what else we got here? Danny Elfman made the music. Oh, wow. Thomas Ackerman, not a relative of mine, but, uh, was a cinematographer. March 30th, it came out. Okay. So that's interesting. March 30th, 1988. Uh, so I'm just trying to figure out, um, wow. March 30th, 1988. So that meant I was either in, uh, okay. So I was in middle school, I guess. So, uh, Beetlejuice was a critical and a commercial, wasn't it directed by Tim Burton, right? Of course, yeah. It's a swift 92 minutes, like a lot of 80s movies and early 90s movies are. It was a com- critical and commercial success. It grossed $93.7 million with a budget of $15 million. It won the Academy Award for Best Makeup, three Saturn Awards, um, Best Supporting Actress for Sylvia Sidney. I uh, also had an animated television series that I, I will have to try to, maybe I could watch that with my daughter. I wonder if that's streaming anywhere. I mean, even though it's year, what is it, 2020? And I mean, 2020 might be visible like a Beetlejuice-alicious year, but uh, uh, what the heck is up with the streaming stuff? Lately, I mean, I just, like, I've, had, I've ended up, and I mean, so I've rented two movies in the last uh now, the last three or four movies I've watched, uh, oh, you want to know? Okay, so I'm trying to get my daughter a little bit uh, introduced to some more movies. Well, the uh, last movie I watched was Project Power on Netflix, uh, and uh, Jamie Foxx is really good in that movie. Uh, then 
I watched. So that was, you know, paid for by, you know, I already paid for Netflix. So I watched that for free or whatever, $12.95. Then I watched Tootsie, which I think is on, was on another streaming service. And also that was another one where my daughter had heard of it. And I said, okay, well, yeah, I guess you would watch Tootsie and then um, the Robin would miss Miss Doubtfire. Um, then we watch the movie, the boys that are lost, uh, and they can't find, you know, they're looking for something that's lost, the lost, the boys that are lost and looking for stuff pay, had to pay for that one. Then, uh, stand by me, I paid for that one, rent, rental, and it's a tough call sometimes you say, but then you say, do you think you're going to watch it again and it won't be on a streaming service? Oh, and I think I had to pay for, um, the movie uh, I talked about it, uh, trying to figure out the playing the the child that the playing with the doll, the child's doll. I think I paid for that one, so maybe I didn't pay for all three. Maybe one of them was on a streaming service because I only paid for two. I rented two movies. I know some of you are like, "Excuse, what are you like uh, a grandfather? You're renting movies?" And I see, yeah, I gotta I pay for movies because I this is how I make my living too is making stuff that streams for free on the internet, so I know what it's like. Okay, so what does any of this have to do with I, I have no idea what any of that had to do with it. Okay, but so, oh, I was trying to figure out where I could watch it. I just went on a little tirade there. So where I could watch the series. And, oh, the stage musical is in 2018. So I guess, no, it is, uh, it has been around for a while. Maybe I'll do, uh, I'll have to check that out. Uh, there's also some g- good, great guest uh, appearances on this show. Uh, but let's run through a little bit more Wikipedia just for fun. So this was uh, after Pee Wee's Big Adventure in 85 made Burton a bankable director. He was working on Batman and uh, Warner Brothers was willing to do the development. Uh, and Burn- Burton was reading scripts and uh, he had seen a couple other ones. And then uh, he got a script for Beetlejuice. And, uh, Burton, uh, let's see, let's see, they're, they're trying to figure it out. Uh, they're trying to figure out the casting. Uh, David Geffen said, what about, uh, Michael Keaton? Burton wasn't familiar with him. He cast, uh, Winona Ryder after seeing her in the movie Lucas. Uh, then Catherine O'Hara signed on. And he said, okay, they said the script is pretty weird, so it's pretty hard to get people. I think at the time, Alec Baldwin was kind of like an undiscovered person. Uh, so they had a $15 million budget. $1 million was for visual effects, uh, which included the stop motion and the makeup and blue, blue screens they used back then instead of green screens. But, yeah, there's a lot more on Wikipedia. I don't want to take too much time, like, rehashing all the details. Uh because I got to, you know, I got to talk about what I can remember about the movie and uh, my life. So I saw this movie in the theater. I feel like I've talked about this before, but, um, and I want to remain some privacy and respectful of people falling asleep. Uh, but this was a time in my life that was not a, like my family was like, uh, like all families do. They face different things. And sometimes you face a lot as a family. So 90, the late 80s were uh, like a time my family was trying to navigate uh, together and a lot of times me apart because I was a brooding teen and I didn't, I didn't do great in, in a lot of those situations. But also 
At some point, uh, my mom's younger brother had bought the house next door to us and moved in. And, uh, which was interesting just cause, uh, they, I guess they, they must've been a lot cool. I mean, they, they, they're cool. They seem close now, but because I was a kid, I didn't really understand those kind of sibling relationships, you know, nowadays I'd think, wow, that's like, uh, like, uh, I don't know. You'd say, wow, that's interesting. But we did, we spent like a lot of time together, but not like we, we would eat dinner together and everything. So it was my uncle and his, I don't know if he moved in. I think he moved in there and then eventually got married, but maybe he was already married to my aunt Karen. And so shout out to them. And, uh, but so, so John and Karen, I don't know if they, so I don't know when they moved in next door to me. Well, let's see. Yeah. I have no idea to be honest. I think this was around the same time. And uh, so I don't know if they were married or dating at this particular moment, but, uh, they uh, took me, so they took me to the movie, and uh, which was very rare. So I don't know if they were like wondering what it would be like to have a kid, or just stuff was so uh, like like adults were interceding in our lives that cared about like like family members were trying to help take care of our family, and I guess they probably drew the short. They said, "What about this brooding, angsty teen boy we have?" And they said, "Well, technically, he's not a teen yet." And I said, "Oh yeah, you're right. I wasn't a teen yet, but I acted like I had that the old CHIP on my shoulder. That's when I started learning to furrow my brow and be above everything. I think maybe I wasn't quite there yet, but this, so they took me to the movie, just the three of us, I believe." And this uh, was really, really meant a lot to me. I should send them a letter before this episode comes out because it really did mean a lot to me. And now as an adult, and I think back about everything that was going on, uh, that uh, means even more to me now as an adult. Um, And it probably was uh, like a... like a part of a building of life-changing relationship with movies and the movie-going experience. Also, I think about the awkwardness, and and a lot of people think I'm joking around when I say I wasn't really trying to be like respectful bedtime too. But I wasn't the uh, wasn't G like, and I guess say okay, well maybe this is just a narrative in my own mind. But I don't think I was a very G O O D. I know I don't like wasn't the easiest kid to deal with, and. So the idea of taking me to a movie was really like a gamble because you never know what kind of mood I was going to be in. It was usually a polite to adults when I was alone with them. Uh, but, you know, I could be a handful and not like, and not, not just that, it just like wasn't like I just, I mean, you know, because you, you're like me, you can't sleep. You're not always in a good mood, I guess is the way you're, you're not the light that fills. I was never, I've never been the light that fills a room. I was more a bit of the gloom, uh, you know, so, so, so the, 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 all that said, I mean, then in a positive way that it's like, wow, this is really generous of them to take me to the movies. Also, wasn't at a movie theater really close to my house because they think the movie theater that was really close to my house at this point had closed or was about to close thanks to uh, BLOC, you know, thanks to the malls and that, uh, that movie store. Uh, because the, the two, the dual theater by my house growing up was gone, but that might not have had a movie like Beetlejuice in, uh, it wasn't the movie, it wasn't at the movie theater, like, uh, 
right around the corner from my house. Like, so there was like a, the movie theater right by my house. Then there was a movie theater at the, the next closest one was at a mall, of course. And, but that was a little ways away. Uh, but we ended up going to a mall that was in another part of town entirely. And I have no idea where a couple other questions come up is like, did we eat dinner like together? Which I'd say probably we did, unless we went after dinner. They picked me up at my house, uh, which is also a possibility. Uh, but so, okay, so oh, so what I was thinking is like, so if you take a kid to a movie that's not your kid, uh, there's a, especially a kid like me that dreams, like has over unrealistic expectations. And I'm willing to push the envelope to get stuff. It's like, how do you negotiate the snacks and the snack bar? Do you go no snacks? Do you go one bucket of popcorn to be shared? Or, and then what is the drink situation? Because even back then, like, stand-up comedians would be joking about the prices of stuff in movies. I'm sure it was like nothing compared to now. But it was probably the same price. So if a movie was two dollars or two fifty, I bet you a thing of popcorn was like a dollar fifty or two bucks, which is you know people probably be like that's too much. But so we went to this movie and uh, the movie was amazing. And I remember just sitting with them and it was sharing the movie. And they were probably in their twenties or their thirties. I would guess their twenties. And we really had a good time, but I just remember like, like once again, going to see a movie in the theater that was very different. And maybe it was cause I liked Pee Wee. Maybe, maybe that was it. I don't know why we decided on that movie, but, uh, we, we did and we went and oh boy, was it good. So I guess I just say that for that, it has a special place in my heart. Now, how does this movie start, uh, and all of that. That's a good question. Um, and I think like the last time I tried to remember, or maybe even I did an episode about this, uh, I was wrong. And then I rewatched, I've probably watched it a couple of times, like once a year, I usually see it now. So, but it feels like it's been a year, maybe longer. Uh, but so, so I'm pretty sure the movie starts off. So, um, uh, what are the characters' names? I don't know the characters' names, but, but or the like Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis's characters are uh, married, right? And they live in a, their dream house in uh, what I believe is like a, somewhere like a far out from New York City. So not an exurb, but like where you say, "Well, I want to be close enough to New York uh, to go there without it taking." Uh, without having to stop overnight, but I don't want to be close enough that it's an ex. I don't even think they had exurbs, like a, a suburb. So back then, you'd say you were moving to the country, and then like there was the idea of this idea of like people from the city coming and taking over. Like, oh, this is so nice until everybody from the city moved in and the prices went up and all of that, and it became shishi or whatever. So. But they had moved there, and I don't know if they, like, uh, I don't know their backstory, which goes into, like, my ideas for the sequel. Uh, actually, they're, I don't know if their backstory is super important, but uh, so they lived up there. I think, I'm pretty sure Alec Baldwin's character ran the hardware store, and this was a dream house. They were always working on their dream house, um, 
Um, I'm trying to think of anything else I need to know. I think that's it. And so they had this perfect life, right? Uh, and they like, they, you know, they would wave at the people from the town and oh boy, was it a dream come true. So the movie starts off with that, the ordinary world or whatever you call it. But it, like, uh, quickly they have to drive into the city for, or, or drive into town for something. So I don't know if they have to go to the hardware store because they're working on a project or uh, he's going to the hardware store because, oh, boy, I got to check and make sure we have this in stock or whatever. Uh, and I think it was like a Sunday and, and it was like even more of a day of leisure where they're like, well, you know, do you really have to go into the into town? That's another term when you move to the country. And I guess these are like, uh, I don't know, like... Uh, what the term is, but like we say, well, I'm moving to the country. Oh, I'm going into town. Uh, but so they said, oh, we're going to go into town. And then I don't exactly know uh, what happens. But so on the way back, I'm sure, sure, on the way into town, they go to the big farm. And that's what's so cool about this movie is it offers an insight into the a version of the big farm. And this was a time I don't remember the oh god you oh god you you are you there George Burns movies at all I know I saw those and I'm pretty sure I'm familiar with the idea of those movies and then there was defending your life I don't know what year that came out but I'm pretty sure that might have been a little bit after this but maybe not maybe this is in the same range of uh, these very uh nuanced fun enlightened takes on what happens in that when when your your earthly life uh you cease to be a human being you become a, like a next stage like a next stage existence and i highly recommend seeing defending your life too but so okay so what happens so they they don't the thing is the first gimmick i guess or not gimmick but uh I guess in a positive way, I'm not saying it like it's a negative, is that uh, they don't realize that they've gone to the big farm. So things pick up like almost like a record skip and they're back at their dream house. And maybe we don't even know, but maybe we do. Maybe we see that they have a little fender bender or something. So I can't remember any of that. Uh, But uh, like uh, they, uh, they have become uh non post post to earth humans but they're on earth and i guess i don't remember all of the mythology involved but at first they don't realize it right and they say but they know something's off slowly they keep noticing that something's off uh then they see their friend who's a real estate agent outside she's a little down they're trying to talk to her she's not answering and I think the first time they realize that something strange is going on is they try to go outside. And this is one of the stop motion things. And it's a bit like outside of their house is like the movie Dune or the book Dune or the soon to be miniseries or TV show Dune. Uh, but even a more surreal version where there's uh, sand buddies uh, out there. And it's like total, like, uh, and it's a portal. So it's like really hard to get back. Uh, so you really can't leave your home. So it's like the first rule of their post-life existence is like, you can't leave home. Uh, then there's two other ideas that get introduced, uh, early on. 
that are important. One is like uh, one level of antagonism, which is that uh, at some point this family moves into their house. And again, this is like their dream house. You know, they like put the, they rubbed all the wood and they say, oh boy, this is all the wood in this home was hand rubbed by us. All of the, um, you know, we polished all the sockets. Scooch, what do you mean polish the sockets? Uh, they said with a toothbrush or something, you know, they, they say, oh boy, these are, uh, this is a leaded glass. You know, we hand leaded this glass and all that. So it's really their dream home. They really invested their hopes and their dreams and their work into it. So the idea of someone else coming and living there and planning on changing the house drastically uh, would be hard for them to accept. But then on top of that, it's like a very over-the-top New York City family, I would say. I think that's what it's supposed to be. So it's like a banker an artist and their daughter, brooding daughter played by Winona Ryder. Uh, and then Catherine O'Hara plays the wife who's kind of like this art, like very comedic, but she plays it in a straight, uh, it's just a character she was made to play. And then the husband's just kind of like a banker type, like, Oh, put upon uh, kind of a type character. So, but none of them are, well, the, 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 so they say, oh, we don't like these people. So that's conflict number one. Then conflict number two is like the other, uh, or the other thing that's introduced is like the rules of this new world and just some fun mythology and world building. So it's like, okay, so we're no longer human beings. Correct. Here's this, like, uh, they, I think they find this book. And it's like, uh, hey, this is welcome to the welcome to your, you know, your second existence. Here's some of the rules you got to follow. And, you know, don't break any of these rules, basically. Also, at some point, they find an ad for Beetlejuice. And there starts to be a little clues about this Beetlejuice character. Uh, then they try to, then they realize, okay, we got to get some help here. Who do we get help with, uh, on our next stage of existence? So they go through this magic door using this chalk, uh, you, you know, you draw a door. I think you say something and they realize that, uh, the post, there's a lot of visual comedy. There's so much, this part of the movie is like small, but str- so strong, uh, is that, uh, whatever they meet, uh, their caseworker and that the afterlife, like the, um, mechanisms of the afterlife is very, very bureaucratic, uh, so bureaucratic. And I think it would be fun to watch with defending your life, which is more of a u- utopian bureaucracy. Uh, w- like when you say bureaucracy is a positive word versus this is like very bureaucratic. You got to wait. Everything's like run down. Everybody's put upon. And so then they finally meet their caseworker. This is probably a series of scenes spread out over like 20 minutes, but, uh, she's, she's like a- hilarious, but she says, what do you need? Like, and there's just so much fun stuff packed in there. Uh, but, uh, they like, uh, slowly discover that they say, wait a second, like, oh, well, we got to get rid of these people that are living in our house. And she says, well, here's the rules you need to follow. Did you even read the handbook? Read the handbook, follow those rules. 
And then at some point, Beetlejuice comes up and then she says, whatever you do, don't contact him. He's like uh, trouble. So they try to follow. And part of it is like they haven't fully embraced the fact, uh, like they they haven't fully embraced this stage of existence. So that's one of the things that causes them all these troubles is like uh, they basically say, well, you got to accept this stage of existence. That's why you're not flourishing. And there's some level of acceptance and uh, whatever you call that, like uh, where you give in. And I don't know. This is just that world's. Uh, so we also learn a little bit about the Winona Ryder's character, the daughter, and that she realizes that her parents are uh, not worse than not great and that she kind of doesn't quite fit in with them. She's not happy. Maybe it's just her stepmom and her dad, too. But that she's like, uh, she's only brooding because she says, what are these, these people are materialistic and ego-based and selfish, and I want something more. Uh, and she, so she's always kind of wandering around and exploring. Uh, and then, I, okay, so then they try to pretend they're Caspers, like, uh, and get rid of the um, family. That does not work. And it also gather, gets Winona Ryder's attention because she's very courageous and curious. She's mostly just curious and interested. So after a couple of failed attempts, she says, wait a second. Uh, like at first, like they they can't even be seen because I don't think they believe, like I said, they're not fully leaning in. Uh, but then it kind of works, and all they end up doing is getting Winona Ryder's attention, and she wants to talk to them. And things keep getting worse at the house where they're like, okay, we're going to get rid of all the glass they worked on. You know what? Take all that rubbed wood and paint over it in neon colors and stuff like that. And they say, no, I can't believe this. So they say, oh boy, are we desperate? And, but then they realize that Winona Ryder's character can be trusted. She's caring. She, she understands. She's curious. But she also says, well, you're dealing with my parents. Like, it's not going to, like, work. And they say, well, we have to make it work. And she says, well, you don't know them. And they say, well, we're going to get rid of them. And all they end up doing is uh, uh, getting more attention. So at some point, like, they uh, – I wonder if they – when they use – they think they still do one more try. They say, okay, well, we're going to try one more time to get rid of these, uh, this, uh, family. Now, meanwhile, again, Beetlejuice was played by Michael Keaton and is an overtop character is constantly getting these little ads or saying, Hey, don't you need my help? Uh, and it's very, very strong, high comedy. Uh, cause Beetlejuice is like the reverse of a uh, ghostbuster. Like he's a non-ghostbuster. He's a good, like a, like a, he's actually like a ghostbuster. He's a ghostbuster, uh, kind of. So let's see. Um, so, okay. So they're friends with Winona Ryder. They're trying to get rid of the parents by being Caspers. It fails. Uh, we get to see more and more of the not nice sides of the parents and their friends. And then, uh, I think this is pre Beetlejuice. They do this thing where they, they say, this is it. This is how we're going to get them out of the house. Yeah. This is what happens. Like they have, uh, a couple of guests over. And of course, one of the guests just happens to be really interested 
he's like big into this kind of stuff. Like, uh, so they do this thing where they try to, uh, they've been trying to learn all these moves and they, uh, so they like say, okay, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to, um, uh, like to help the humans by playing. Um, and for some reason they decide, and I don't know why, why this is, uh, but it ends up being cool is, uh, they decide to use uh, Harry Belafonte's song, uh, which is an incredibly pain-filled song. If you read, like, learn more about it, uh, and I don't know if the, they knew that in this movie or not. I don't. I don't think they did, but uh, maybe we learned about it years later. Uh, but it, like uh, the uh, Deo, but the banana, banana, uh, the banana boat song, and then jump in the line. Uh, I always think it's rock your body on time. I used to sing that song. I used to sing jump in the line. Uh, like I would change the lyrics, not that it says anything to do with anything, but when my daughter was little and I would change her diaper, uh, I would sing, jump in the line, uh, rock your body on time. Oh no, not when she was changed before when, when a kid would, when she would make that diaper face, like filling her diaper face. And then I'd say, okay. I am ooping, uh, like it just works, uh, jump in the line, rock your body on time. Okay. So, uh, um, but the, so those two songs they use and they take the, um, uh, parents and their guests and, and a bunch of the uh, stuff in the house and they use that to like make this great, uh, where they actually uh, take control of everybody and make them dance and sing to the songs and thinking for some reason that it would like, uh, get rid of them. And they actually, that's like another level of comedy, uh, because I guess like they're, uh, um, the main characters are, I don't know if they are the main characters really, really have to analyze this movie, but uh, Gina Davis and Alec Baldwin's characters are very kind, good people, but they're also kind of boring. Uh, uh, so I guess that's another powerful thing because it's very rare. Uh, and I think it was done on purpose. It's like, wow, those two are very milk toast. I think would probably be the right word. They're very saccharine. Uh, and, and they, but it, I mean, they the place for it. And I guess it's a good contrast with Beetlejuice. But so, that ends up not working that everybody at dinner is like, wow, that was the coolest thing ever. We just had, got forced to move around and dance and sing. How did you do that? And they say, oh yeah, we got these two, uh, beings that live here. So then they end up uh, like saying, okay, now we're going to make, we can make them perform for us and stuff. And we could look into this. And and then they go back to their caseworker who says, wait a second, they know about you? Oh, boy, this is not good. Also, if you get caught by a Ghostbuster, it's not like in the movies. Like, uh, think about it. Did you see any of the ghosts, like, other than Slimer uh, saying, wow, that was cool again. Like, do you you think ghosts want to be busted? She says, really? She goes, would you, would you trust a per if you were a ghost, would you trust a person that said, I ain't afraid of no ghost? Uh, and they say, oh no. And they, she says, that's right. Oh no. So then they get to the point where they enlist Beetlejuice's help. Uh, and they say his name three times 
And we realized that Beetlejuice is beyond a problematic, uh, like, uh, over-the-top, uh, uh, like, crude, uh, but also confident and very effective. Uh, and Beetlejuice presents it as, okay, yeah, I'm not, I got them rough around the edges, but my job is uh, I can get these humans out of your house. If you want, if you, you know, if you need me to move these humans out, uh, that's what I do best. And don't you worry. And I wonder at what point, I think I remember watching this and being like, wow, Beetlejuice really doesn't come in until like, uh, if it's a 90 minute movie, it might be like 60 minutes or 45 minutes in. Because thinking about the progress, uh, I can't think of that many sequences uh, with Be- like other, like, I mean, as a character, other than the building up of it. But I also can't think of many scenes with Beetlejuice in it because uh, I guess what basically happens is they see, he says, okay, well, uh, don't worry. Then there's another big dinner scene where they have, for some reason, Dick Cavett and Robert Goulet over for dinner. And I think, like, Dick Cavett is, like, a, like his somebody's one of their book agents, maybe the, I don't know. And uh, I don't know who Robert Goulet plays. Uh, maybe he just plays Robert Goulet. Uh, but so, like, so those were really famous people back in the, like, 80s. Uh, just for people to say, who? And I say, yeah, Robert Goulet is even, a, uh, like, I, like probably, probably if you said, Scoose, who's Robert Goulet? I'd say... He's got a really good voice, and he was in Beetlejuice, and I think on a bunch of other stuff that I don't know. Dick Cavett also has a really good voice. Um, both of them are distinct voices. I'd say Dick Cavett probably has creaky dulcet tones, and Dick Cavett was a famous interviewer. Um, so I don't. That's just like, and I'm not kidding. I think Robert Goulet was a singer, kind of like a lounge singer actor. Was is who I'm picturing, but I'm not. I, I guess so. Robert Goulet fans, Robert Goulet. I'm sorry, like because I think that was like the '70s into the '80s that those two were at the peak, of their height of their fame. Uh, so okay, so where was I coming back? Uh, so they're over for dinner. I wonder if there's two sequences, or maybe I'm getting them mixed up. I mean, that's what happens in these tale of the tapes. Uh, but basically, Beetlejuice says, don't worry. All you got to do is recruit me, and I'll take care of everything. These humans will be gone. But it is a very much like uh, Beetlejuice's fingers are crossed. Oh, what is the cost of your services? And Beetlejuice, of course, doesn't give all the information, which I think is like... Uh, I can't remember. I think Beetlejuice needs to, like, uh, well, there, there ends up being a, a heavy cost. And the whole time Winona Ryder is like, I think Beetlejuice wants to, like, get out of, like, Beetlejuice's situation, which for some reason, uh, marrying a human, a living human, also somehow, like, will establish Beetlejuice back in the middle world or something. But it will also, like, take the post-human life forces from Alec Baldwin and uh, Gina Davis because, like, their home, like, he would become the resident of their home, maybe. I don't know exactly the rules. But basically, Beetlejuice takes over. 
like humbles uh, Winona Ryder's parents. The guests leave because they say, whoa, this is not what we because they say, oh, we're pitching this new business. It's called like uh, Bed and Breakfast with Caspers. And you're going to be totally interested for sure because the last time was so amusing. But Beetlejuice is not amusing. Beetlejuice is, uh, gets to the point of uh, get, get, making the humans, getting what Beetlejuice wants and getting rid of the humans. Oh, also, did I mention for some reason, uh, so for some reason, Beetlejuice lives inside in a miniature. That's what made me think of this movie when I was doing Otter Things. And I was like, oh, this could be for Halloween 2020. Um. So I don't know what that has to do with anything other than it just made me think of like, oh, wait, Beetlejuice, like, uh, yeah, like lived in like a train set. I, I don't know. If, I think there was a train there. Maybe that was one of Alec Baldwin's, uh, maybe that's where he was driving was to go to the tra- model train store. Can you believe that we used to have like model stores and trains, like, tra- like train stores? Like those used to be, I don't know, times have, uh, anyway, so. Uh, basically the movie hits its apex with like, I don't know if you have to get Beetlejuice to say his own name. I can't remember what you have to do to get rid of him. Uh, but I think you have to get him to say his name three times or something. So Winona Ryder, he's basically like, I'm going to marry Winona Ryder. And then I'll be able to live in this house and be human or whatever, like not being a train set, uh, so I'll have to pay attention to this the next time I watch a movie because I know this isn't accurate. But so uh, so basically, as he's getting ready, as soon as he marries Winona Ryder, for some reason, that will make him established in the house and that uh, Alec Baldwin and uh, Gina Davis will be not residents of this world anymore. They'll have, they'll be, like, they'll be, like, uh, They'll they'll have they'll be uh, um, de-existed, and uh, so that so I don't know how it resolves. I'm pretty sure Winona Ryder's the one that has to fix everything, though it may have been a combination of Winona Ryder's dad, Alec Baldwin, and Gina Davis. But I can remember them kind of being kind of stuck, or maybe it's a, they just have to say his names. Uh, so I don't know, but I'm pretty sure Winona Ryder's character tricks Beetlejuice, which causes Beetlejuice to have to leave the world again. Uh, and he ends up going and having to go to the waiting room in like a, like a post-earthly world. Uh, and then there's more comedy at the end of that, of the movie there, uh, where he, he gets, uh, he gets his due while he's waiting. And then Winona Ryder, her dad, and Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis have, like, established some sort of working rapport. And Catherine O'Hara's moved back to the big city or whatever. And so they have, like, some sort of working rapport. And they even do more Harry Belafonte at the end of the movie. Uh, which Winona Ryder does, like kind of over the top uh, to add, like there's the comedy with Beetlejuice and then this punch with Winona Ryder uh, to close out the movie. So that was a movie from what I remember about it.
And then I just, so then I wonder, like, I guess you say, Scooch, what would you want to see in a Beetlejuice sequel? And I'd say, well, there's two decisions to be made, in my opinion. And maybe you have to do this as one movie with flashbacks, but I would like to see Beetlejuice's origin story or how Beetlejuice, you know, up until like, so I would like to see the prequel. Uh, but then you'd lose, uh, then, but I would think if you were going to do this movie, you would try to get the original cast or as much of the original cast as possible and, or run screen tests and see if Michael Keaton is, is game to be Beetlejuice again. I mean, I think that's the most important question. And now I'm remembering doing the, uh, Thanksgiving day parade a couple of years ago and seeing the Beetlejuice, maybe it was even this year, the character played Beetlejuice was good. But, uh, I mean, I guess Michael Keaton is my Beetlejuice. Uh, it's so, it's also not Beetlejuice. It's like, a, I don't know if it's a misspelling, because uh, it's Geist, I think. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm the one that's wrong. and probably am. But so I would be interested in any sequel to see the events leading up to, like uh, how Beetlejuice ended up where Beetlejuice was at the start of the movie. Of course, that's a question. Maybe it's answered in the musical or the cartoon. I don't know. I'm pretty sure that the animated TV show is Beetlejuice and Winona Ryder's characters, but I'm not positive, but I can kind of picture that in my head. Uh, The next, but I would also be, I think the better movie uh, would be is something like moving forward. And I can see if you, again, you say, well, okay, these are the ages of the characters now. It takes place in, I mean, it could definitely take place in the year 2020. I mean, right? Uh, but, like, I think, it, like, some multi-layered thing, like where maybe there's a movie where Winona Ryder's character has gone to the big farm and is in the house. Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis's characters have moved on to another stage of existence after the one they were currently in because Winona Ryder's replaced them. Also, that gives you the ability to cast some more people as residents of the current house, uh, though I don't think most of the movie would take place in, in our world. So then the way it would be is like, uh, let's say... Uh, going down or on some sort of curve, there's different stages of existence, right? There's the human world that we live in now. Uh, that's the baseline, we'll say. Then oh, not that far below it is whatever world Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis were in that then Winona Ryder's characters in, living in your house, but you're not a human anymore. There's some positives like familiarity. There's a and then there's then there's a fact you got to live with other people and and you're not a human anymore. So you have those things going. So that's an, then there's another stage of existence after that. Maybe it's not down, but it's like another thing. Like uh, I don't know what it would be. That would be open and a cool to explore. But then there's wherever Beetlejuice is that it's definitely not, it could be one of those famous circles, you know, you got Dante, you got, uh, whoever that other person was as fame, you know, all those people down there, Milton, the whole nine yards. I mean, the story, their stories, right? Uh, so Beetlejuice is somewhere there. Now, if I know Beetlejuice, 
what Beetlejuice would figure out is like somehow use that opportunity. Maybe there's some other event uh, that Beetlejuice figures out or he made some other secret thing that when Winona Ryder moves in her world, he ends up uh, switching worlds. So, uh, or there's two kind of quests, but I think there should be like where we get... uh, Winona Ryder thinks she has to go get um, and rescue Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis. So she's either going all the way to where Beetlejuice is now or to another world. Now, meanwhile, Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis, I think that's it. He tricks them out so he's able to get out. So he tricks Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis into going down because he he makes them think that, uh, uh, that, uh, uh, Winona Ryder character needs to be rescued and she goes looking for them and he's able to run rampant. Uh, but then of course in that movie, like it would be, you know, then Beetlejuice would have to do something positive. I think, uh, I don't know. I think those are, those are just like sketches of, uh, and I mean, maybe that's what changes his mind is that as he, so he gets back to the house, but then it feels empty to him. Yeah. And he's also thinking about, the choices that led him to have to live in a train set. Uh, maybe he even realizes, wow, I had it pretty good in the train set. And now that I'm living in this, like sooner or later, this is all going to catch up with me. I just like to live in the train set again. So, and maybe we see some stuff, whatever from not Beetlejuice's childhood, but whatever his other existence forms of existence were. Then you get the prequel, because, I mean, the ads are you're not going to make two more Beetlejuice movies, so you get the, the, both those in one. I don't know. That's just what I was thinking about this week when I was thinking about the movies, what I would want to see. But, I mean, there's so many moving parts uh, that what I want to see really doesn't, not that big a deal. But, uh, anyway, so that's a couple things about G- Beetlejuice and uh, the tale of the tape behind Beetlejuice. And uh, shout out to my Aunt John and Karen and with much love. Uh, for supporting me in a time that was uh, not easy. Uh, thanks and good night.